0: So maybe I should uh, thank someone else, someone who's really been there, someone who taught me a lot about poetry and Shakespeare and just like, you know, <laughs> staying awake, man. <laughs> someone who's just an overall great guy and a great teacher to Howard Brackett from Greenleaf, Indiana. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow, oh,
1: And he's gay. The life of a small-town teacher is turned upside down when he's outed as gay on national television. Join us as we discuss Steven Seagal's Oscar chances, why one kid will have to come out twice, and what not to name this movie's sequel. Then we find out if 1997's in and out stands the test of time.
0: time, James and Allen have their
1: say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says Gladiator with the glutton.
0: Allen says as a father, blah blah.
1: It's the test of time, James and Allen have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time, James and Allen have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up
0: today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and you are. And I'm James Brief, and it's so good to be here on a very special episode 302 because they're all special. You're right, James. They're all very special. Every time we get together, it's special. Thank you. So, you know, today we're going to talk about this movie, in and out Mm
1: -hmm. I saw that this was on HBO Max, and I can't even remember if I've seen this whole film, but I definitely remember it. I remember the trailer, and I remember the gist of the film, so I want to watch it. And by the time I got around to watching it, I guess HBO lost the contract to it, so it was no longer
0: there. Yeah, you picked this movie because it was streaming on HBO Max, and I think I even looked at a list of, like, movies, that are leaving at the end of the month and it wasn't on there, but I guess it did anyway. And, you know, that's the problem of planning these things in advance. It's on a streaming service and then it just isn't. Right, right.
1: And, you know, there are some of those other ways to watch the film, both legal and not legal. (gasps) That's right. Uh, The internet is, uh, you know, a dangerous place. But uh, I I actually, I went to Amazon Prime and I rented it. That's just something absolutely awesome of, you know, it's something you kind of dreamed of when you were a kid. Like Blockbuster at your fingertips. And still to this day, not accounting for inflation. It's way cheaper than Blockbuster was at its prime. You know, it's... uh, Get it. Prime. That's right. That's yes. uh, and I was about to click on rent it for three ninety nine, and then next to it it said buy it for twelve ninety nine. But then next to that it said more options, and I clicked on that, and it said the three ninety nine uh, high def uh, rental that it was offering me. But then it said two ninety nine for standard definition. Yeah. And you know I watched this on a, you know it wasn't a small TV, it wasn't a large TV, maybe a forty inch or something. Yeah. And And I clicked on the standard def and, you know, this is not Avatar. And, you know, it was exactly the same thing. So if you don't need a high definition, uh, Kevin Klein, then (laughs) rent the SD. And, you know, I didn't rent the HD to compare it, but it looked really good. It might be the same thing. Or at least the, the SD might be like 480 and the high
0: def might be 720. But I doubt this film is in 1080. Well, that's a good point. And you gotta remember that not all of these older movies, and this is only twenty-five years old, but they weren't all shot in Super HD. A movie that's made now, they are filming it in 8K or whatever, but before that high resolution wasn't even available. A lot of the times I rent movies from my local library. That way I don't have to pay any, you know, rental fees to Amazon but I didn't do that for this movie because I thought it was going to be on HBO Max. And when I was looking for it, I didn't find it there. So I did the same thing on Prime and I sprung for the HD rental because I had a credit. I buy a lot of crap on Amazon and I try to do the ship them together in fewer boxes thing so that it's a little less bad for the environment. It's still probably bad for the environment and I probably buy too much stuff online that I have shipped. But like clicking that little box alleviates some of my guilt for it. And when you do it, they give you like a dollar fifty credit usually for a digital purchase, and I didn't get the dollar fifty digital credit, and then I was chatting with Amazon customer service of like, "Hey, how come I didn't get that dollar fifty? I paid the full four dollars, and I just wanted my dollar fifty back, but they actually gave me the full four bucks back. So I rented it in h d for free. That's a better bargain. (laughs) I think so.
1: Was it a higher resolution, though? I'm slightly skeptical that it really was a higher
0: resolution film. I don't know because I didn't compare it. I will say, though, watching TV on my 70-inch 4K TV when I do get it as a DVD from the library in other instances, it looks grainy. And maybe it's because it's a bigger TV, maybe because it's a 4K TV, But I can usually spot the difference. And honestly, sometimes I just rent DVDs instead of Blu-rays because that's easier to get from the library. Whenever possible, I'll go for the Blu-ray. But sometimes it's just, you know, I can get a DVD tomorrow or I can wait six months for a Blu-ray, whatever. If If it's a movie that it doesn't really matter, I'll just get the DVD. I feel like I can usually spot a difference. But let's get into the movie itself, and it's about a small-town high school teacher named Howard Brackett, played by Kevin Klein, and one of Howard's former students, an actor named Cameron Drake, wins an Academy Award, and in his acceptance speech, he says that Howard is gay. That's news to Howard's parents, his principal, his fiance, and even Howard himself. And soon, Howard finds his engagement, his job, and the respect of his peers and students in danger, and he tries to convince everyone that he's straight. But is he convincing others or himself? So I don't really remember this movie coming out in 1997. I definitely had never seen it before, so I didn't see it in the theater. But was it successful when it came out? Yeah, it was quite successful when it came out. Uh, This film
1: had a $35 million budget. So, you know, a mid-range film for the late 90s. And was released on uh, September 19th, 1997. It opened at number one with $15 million on its way to $63 million just at the box office. So nearly double its budget. And, you know, this isn't like one of these Marvel films that needs an enormous marketing campaign. This is the kind of film that it succeeds on word of mouth and, uh, you know, a successful trailer or something. And it was interesting, I was looking at the top 10, and the number seven film on that list was a completely or mostly forgotten film until recently. You want to make a guess? In 1997, it's recently uh, become very,
0: very famous again. Is it G.I. Jane? Yes, yes, number seven. That's really funny. I was thinking that, like, oh, we could have, like, jumped on the G.I. Jane bandwagon and done it for the podcast. We'll do that movie eventually. When Chris Rock made that joke, I was like, that joke doesn't really stand the test of time because... Who really remembers that movie? It wasn't like a major, huge thing that people are still talking about all the time 25 years later. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, I watched it with my girlfriend, and she did not understand it at all. She was like, I've never heard of this film. So, you know, it kind of came and went uh, in the summer of 97.
0: He could have referenced uh, Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. She was bald in that. If he was going for a reference to a female that was bald in a recent movie... Mad Max Fury Road, that was pretty popular. That was only, what, 10 years ago? Something like that? Less, I think. Whatever. And the movie opens with this small town. It's supposed to take place in Indiana. And Howard is a high school teacher. Not only is he the English teacher, but he's also the football coach i thought he's a track coach oh maybe it's track whatever he's a coach of something and in one scene all the kids in the locker room like spray what looks like champagne on him i think it was champagne and it's like where did all these high school kids get champagne so then i thought it was college but no it is high school And Howard's also
1: engaged to a lovely young woman, uh, played by Joan Cusack. Uh, This is Emily. And she's using uh, weight loss uh, exercise videos, and she lost 75 pounds. Richard Simmons videos. Yeah, Richard Simmons. So that's uh, like 80s and 90s. That's another reference uh, my girlfriend didn't understand. That's not something that, you know, I don't think... uh, I think if you mention Richard Simmons or you make a Richard Simmons joke, it's probably dating you. Yeah. I mean, there was that podcast about, like, trying to track him down a couple years ago. My guess is that the average age of that is probably people in their 50s and 60s.
0: Yeah, maybe. Everyone in this town loves Howard. And they love this kid who went to school there that was Howard's student. This actor named Cameron Drake, played by Matt Dillon. And... Cameron Drake is up for an Oscar. He's a favorite to win Best Actor, and the whole town is like tuning in to watch the Oscars. They kind of uh, gave some uh, realism to this. They had the red carpet.
1: They had Whoopi Goldberg uh, in a cameo. Mm-hmm. And what was weird was that the guy doing the you know the Ryan Seacrest role on the red carpet was Tom Selleck, who I at first wasn't sure if he was a cameo as Tom Selleck. Right. And I quickly realized he's no, he's an actor in this film. The actor's going to close. She's a she makes
0: a cameo in this film. And when they're like. Talking about the best actor nominees, they show a clip from Cameron's movie, and it's not just a clip. It's extended scenes from the movie, and then when they mention the other nominees, they don't show any clips from those movies. It's just like very preferential treatment to one of the nominees.
1: Cameron Drake is nominated with Clint Eastwood and uh, Paul Newman and Michael
0: Douglas. Also, though, Steven Seagal is nominated. Oh, how could I forget that? Oh, my God, that was awesome. That made me laugh out loud because that is just laughable. It's laughable that Steven Seagal would ever be nominated for Best Actor. Do you notice what he was nominated for? I don't remember. It was awesome. The movie was called Snowball in Hell, as in his chances of winning an Oscar. But that also does sound like the name of a Steven Seagal movie, so it works on every level. That's of very funny. We're definitely going to do some Steven Seagal films. Sure. I mean, we have
1: to do Under Siege, but, you know, I guess we do Marked for Death and Hard to Kill. We could do a Steven Seagal
0: trilogy. Oh, that seems like a lot of Seagal. I mean, Under Siege, I'll give you. The others, I don't know. Come on. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll take this offline. <laughs>
1: okay. Anyway, spoiler alert, Stephen Seagal does not win Best Actor, and Cameron Drake does. He accepts the Oscar, and he's like, well, I want to thank the director and my agent. And there's all these great people, but there's one other guy I have to thank, and it's my high school teacher. He thanks Howard, and this is a fantasy of every teacher in the world. Sure. You're thanked at the Oscar is that you were the inspiration for this guy. And this role was sort of a gay soldier in Vietnam. And he says that Howard, of course, is gay. But this is a surprise to everyone in this small Indiana town, including the principal watching, all of his friends, and including Howard and Emily.
0: Right. And this is a, I think... Flaw In the movie that Howard is shocked by this and it seems like he never even thought that he was gay. It had never crossed Emily's mind either. And they don't really explain that. And I think that's a little bit strange. Like there's something there. But yeah, it's just then his parents show up and they're talking about that maybe they should sue. And if you're going to get a lawyer, get that Johnny Cochran, not that lady which is a reference to uh, the O.J. Simpson trial. I think Marsha Clark. Yes, because, you know, Johnny Cochran won the case and Marsha Clark lost. That joke probably doesn't stand the test of time. Although uh, there was some... Recent nostalgia about the O.J. trial. There was that FX show that was pretty good. Right. And, you know, the
1: O.J. trial might eventually become the Lindbergh baby. It's one of those things that, like, I don't really know too much about it, but I know it was a big deal. Right. So I think people will hear about the O.J. case forever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it does stand the test of time. What's that? The man and woman who play the parents. Sure. Wilford Brimley and Debbie Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Wilford Brimley, uh, he's famous for several things. He's famous for the Cocoon movie, Quaker Oats. Mm -hmm. During daytime TV, he'd try to sell your grandparents some life insurance. Mm -hmm. And then you introduced me to another thing that he's famous for. I had never known about this. What, the diabetes commercials? Yeah, I had never known that. Like, somehow, I had never really picked up on the way he pronounced it funny. When you showed it to me, I thought it was absolutely hysterical. And then I started noticing that uh, characters like on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like, they will call it diabetes. And I'm like, that has to be from Wilford Brimley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the thing he's known for now. And uh, Debbie Reynolds, uh, very famous actress. How did you first know who Debbie Reynolds was?
0: Well, as Carrie Fisher's mom. Right, right, right. That's how I first knew her. Yeah, and uh, this movie was directed by Frank Oz, aka Yoda. So right. they, there's a there's a Star Wars connection there. That's right. But the next day after the Oscars, there's like a media frenzy in this town, and everyone wants to talk to Howard. There's like a million reporters at the school, and from a test of time perspective, would the media frenzy be there? because he's gay. Like, is that a headline now? Would it be a headline now? If there was like a thing where they wanted to go to the town to talk to the guy who was thanked in the speech, I could see that. But like the questions that the reporters are shouting out, like you don't really hear everything. But if you pay attention, there's little words of like, what do you feel about lesbians on Mars? Are you friends with Ellen? You know, like it's just a lot of nonsense and it's because he's gay. I do think this kind of stands
1: up. Uh, I think there's definitely would be a media frenzy. You know, these TMZ reporters, they're always asking them completely irrelevant questions. You know, what do you think of the uh, Will Smith slap to, you know, some director of some movie has nothing to do with either of them. They're always asking, them, what do you think of the war here and the, this random bill in Congress? Like, I think they would ask these things. But... This film is released in 1997, and that was the year before Columbine. You saw reporters in the hallway. Like, he literally escapes into a classroom. I don't even know if this would have happened in 1997. Reporters don't go in high schools. Like, that never, ever happens. During school, like, that would never happen today.
0: Yeah, it's highly, highly unethical. And when he's talking to his classmates about it, He says, no, no, don't worry, I'm not gay. And they were worried and they are relieved to find out that he's not gay because gay is a bad thing, apparently, in this community. Like, they don't want him to be gay. And there's one student in the class who definitely seems like he's not so sure about all of this gay bashing. And earlier in the movie, he found out that he got into uh, his dream college and Howard had helped him. And so they have a bond. But then all of the other kids are talking about like why people think he's gay. And it's like, well, you're smart and you're an English teacher and you like literature and you're well-dressed and you're clean and you kind of move your hand when you talk sometimes. And it's all just a lot of like gay stereotypes, like stacked right on top of each other.
1: Maybe we just grew up in New York. Cause I was going to say, I don't really think these teens are going to grow up now to be seniors and they're not going to encounter any gay people. But you know what, this is a small Indiana town. This very well might be the first time they, they have possibly met a, a gay person. And these students really like this teacher. I think this is believable dialogue. And the fact that they're relieved, that's very disappointing.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And, and, you know, the movie opens on a very interesting establishment shot, which basically shows the town square. And it has some sign that says a big, small town or a small, big town. I forgot what it says, but it's basically this is anywhere USA. Mm -hmm. And to do that today, you would definitely have to specifically say this is not in New York or San Francisco, California, in big cities. Sure. You would specifically have to say this is in a small town and kind of have to establish that maybe this is a little footloose-ish. You know, for that reason, it holds
0: up then. But, you know, it's, it's very odd to see now. Exactly. Yeah. And then Howard, like, goes to go and have, like, a meal and have some quiet time to himself. And he goes to a diner. Peter Malloy comes in, that's Tom Selleck's reporter character, and he says, all the other reporters are gone, but I'm going to stick around because I want to get the real story from you. And I have to give a shout out that this scene was filmed at Tim's Shipwreck Diner in Northport, New York, which is near where I live. I've been to this diner many times. They have a giant in and out poster on display and the diner kind of works as a location because it looks kind of like it would fit in a small town in indiana it's an old-fashioned looking place it still looks old-fashioned now but they have very good food and very good mimosas for sunday brunch there's also a shot earlier in the movie where you see like the main street that it's on in northport even though it's supposed to take place in indiana they filmed a lot in new jersey too but just had to mention that That's interesting. But something that didn't hold up from uh, Peter
1: Malloy's character, Tom Selleck, when he's disappointed that uh, Peter doesn't want to interview him, he goes, what, you want Joan London or Diane Sawyer? Everyone wants them. Did Barbara Walters call you? And those are big names in 1997. But uh, these women are not as famous as they were back then.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. But Howard is still planning to go through with marrying Emily He has a bachelor party, and they all gather around the TV to watch, presumably, a porn, but then it turns out that they're just going to watch Barbra Streisand movies because they know that he loves Barbra Streisand. I do think it's weird for a bachelor party for, like, a whole bunch of dudes to sit around and watch a porn together. Like, that's, that's weird. Right, right, right. Um... There's a little joke here that all the guys are like, "Don't mention
1: anything about the Oscars," and we're not—we're going to treat it like totally normal. And they have the inflatable naked woman doll, you know, these stupid little props. But all of the guys are suddenly talking about their favorite Barbara Streisand films. That joke didn't really land with me.
0: Well, Howard loves Barbara Streisand. And he's made all of his friends watch Barbara Streisand movies over the years. And so everyone knows that he loves Barbara Streisand. So there's kind of like this Barbara Streisand theme at the bachelor party. And it's two things because Howard is like, why are we only talking about Barbara Streisand? It's a bachelor party. We should be like watching porn together and drinking beers. And then one of the guys is like, yeah, Yentl's kind of lame anyway. And then Howard's like, what did you say? So like he's trying to act like he doesn't care about Barbara Streisand. But he really loves Barbara Streisand. That's kind of funny that they get into a fight about that. I'm like, look, if you want to watch Barbara
1: Streisand films about your party, if that's what your group of friends like, great, do that. But it seems weird that you do both Yentl and Inflatable
0: Naked Woman. I suppose you've got a point, Uh, but there's more conflict with Howard at his job at school. Because the principal basically threatens to fire him if he doesn't get married. If Howard gets married and therefore affirms that he's straight, then his job is safe. But if he does not get married and if he confirms that he's gay, he's going to lose his job. And I have to be honest, if we watched this movie maybe six months ago... I would be like, well, that's stupid. That's bullshit. That's not a thing that any superintendent or principal would ever do. Now, in the world of the don't say gay bill in Florida and the copycat in, is it Idaho? Ohio? Some other state is doing a copycat bill. Like, now, all of a sudden, I think that this very much could happen in a public school. I do think that there are still, like teachers unions and if a teacher has tenure it would be harder to fire someone even in light of these homophobic bills but i don't really know i just feel like at some point howard would have said well i'll call my union rep and that would have scared the principal yeah, homosexuality was not, certainly not in
1: 1997 was not a protected class so they would have grounds to fire a tenure
0: teacher probably on some morals clause or something like that maybe you're right. My mom was a teacher and she was always talking about the union. So that's just where my mind went. You know, this is not going to be every town USA again, but it doesn't have to necessarily
1: be a footloose town based on these laws that are around today. You know, these laws are based on
0: any parent can object to anything that they've heard. Exactly. And it isn't totally clear if it's all the principle or if it's, the community, because the principal says that it's based on the community. The community is upset. The community is concerned. And we don't ever really fully get a picture of that. Like in Footloose, then you get a sense that, yeah, it's a whole town or even Pleasantville. There's a mass of people in the town who are very, very upset about these things we don't like. But in this movie, you don't really see that. So I wasn't sure if he was... Being genuine that he was getting lots of phone calls from concerned parents and community members, or if it was just him being a homophobe.
1: You're right. It's never made clear. I think for simplicity, they didn't get like a rally against the teacher involved. I think that would be too complicated of a subplot. Maybe. I think this principle represents the complete opposition party. Right. That makes sense. Howard is in what we'd call today, I guess you'd call it, he's in denial. He goes to confession and he starts telling a priest that he's been with Emily for three years and they've never had sex. And that's the first time the audience learns this as well. And even the priest is like, well, you're gay. Did you notice who the priest was? No, I did not. It was the father from Sister Act. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the same guy. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, and in the next scene, he's like so mad at what the priest says, and he decides, I'm going to prove him and everyone wrong. And, you know, there really is one way to prove that you are into women, and that is to be with a woman. So he decides, I'm going to have sex with Emily, and he goes home, and Kevin Kline is such a good actor. It takes something for an actor to sort of act poorly, and he is acting like the way someone who's watched movies of what like a macho man would do. He's acting like that. Like he kicks open the door and he's like I will grab you now and throw you on the bed and it's actually very unsexy. Sure. He's acting like someone who's never really touched a woman before or never touched a guy. He's never kissed anyone or like made out with anyone. It's very awkward and Emily who we learn later is in incredibly anxious to have sex, uh, and she's just patiently waiting for it. She does not even seem to jump to this because she is not really turned on by this.
0: Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's not really into it. He's only doing it because a priest told him to do it, which I'm not Catholic. But do Catholic priests tell people to have premarital sex? I thought that was like a no-no in the church. I am not Catholic either, so I can't answer that one. I don't know. I just thought that was weird. But yeah, he, that doesn't go well. And then Howard is riding his bike around town and he almost gets hit by a car driven by Peter Malloy, the Tom Selleck character. And Howard's like, You don't care about me. You have no idea what I'm going through. This is very difficult. And Tom Selleck's like, You're gay. It's not a big deal. I'm gay. And Howard's like, what? You're gay? And he's like, yeah, I told people. I was worried they were going to be upset and shocked and mad. And my parents were a little confused, but they got over it. And I told my boss and my boss said, whatever. And no one really cared. And Howard says, well, okay, that's good for you. But you're gay and I'm not. And then Tom Selleck kisses Howard. And it's a very long kiss. And it's funny because Kevin Klein is just like, Gumby with his limbs, like his arms and legs are just flailing all over the place. And he's clearly into the kiss. He's clearly enjoying it. This is physical contact that he likes and he enjoys. And also maybe his first like intimate moment with anyone. Like we saw, sex wasn't something he's done with a woman. Uh, Apparently he's never done it with a man. And he's never really had any experience like this. And it's like a turning point for him. This scene is in every, not every, but
1: in so many rom coms before I would say 2010 or so. They're fighting, and suddenly he'll kiss her to shut her up, or she'll kiss him to shut him up. And, you know, there's still a squint of they're mad, and then the squint fades, and then they go into the kiss. And it's a weird rom com thing that, uh, I advise our listeners not to take this uh, (laughs) and do this in real life. It may go very, very poorly. It may end in criminal charges. But um, by the end of it, he's kind of like, you know, how dare you? But that wasn't as horrible as Kissing Emily uh, earlier was.
0: Right. And then he goes home and he puts on an audio cassette, which is teaching him how to be masculine. Masculine men do this. You untuck your shirt. You say that you want a beer. Now say that you like those window curtains. Ha ha, no, you don't say that because straight men don't like window dressings and curtains and things like that. And it's like very specific to you act masculine, don't act feminine, don't quote unquote act gay. And I wasn't sure if, like, this whole tape was real or if he was, like, imagining it, if it kind of, like, was veering into the surreal in this scene. Well, I think it starts out
1: absolutely real. And then there's more specific things to Howard. So I think it just becomes a little surreal. But I'm going to tell you that I know somebody. I'm not friends with this person. But I know somebody in his house. He has a bookshelf filled with books, titles like How to Be an Alpha Male. This is a very real thing. So it will say like, these are the drinks that an alpha male buys. And I don't know everything about it. I didn't read all these books, so I can't make complete comments on it, but like thumbing through these
0: kind of books, like it's interesting. That's interesting because that stuff is still a thing that does stand the test of time. I think this scene works because it's kind of deconstructing this idea of quote-unquote masculinity and like how stupid it is. It's that thing of like trying to be cool, right? Like if you're trying to be cool, then you're not cool because being cool is not caring. If you have to put this much effort into looking a certain way, then it's not natural. Why bother? Who cares? But- the culmination of the scene is they play, I will survive on this tape. And it's like, don't dance. You might want to dance. You're not going to dance, right? Don't you dare dance. Don't tap that foot. Howard can't resist. He needs to dance. He needs to jump around the room and dance. And so he quote unquote fails the masculinity test. And it's pretty bad timing because he's supposed to get married to Emily the next day. And he gets to the wedding and he seems like he's going to go through with it. Like he's there planning to marry her.
1: Everyone's getting ready. Howard is looking at his shirt and he's complaining that there's not enough starch in his shirt. And he goes, where are we? The Ukraine. And we don't say the Ukraine anymore. And some people still do. Apparently, that was a propaganda campaign from the Soviet Union days. We're calling it the Ukraine just sounds like a region. Like, oh, we're going to the Catskills. And so now you call it Ukraine. It's interesting when I wrote in our little, uh, you know, things I want to talk about. I wrote the Ukraine and autocorrect tried
0: to correct it to Ukraine. Interesting. I still do see people refer to it as the Ukraine, especially now that it's in the news more. I mean, it's probably something they said for
1: many years, but I think if you understand why, then then you'd change your mind, but I don't think a lot of people know about this.
0: Sure, I didn't, so that's interesting. But when it gets to the part of the wedding where Howard is supposed to say I do, instead he says, I'm gay. And Emily runs out, she's very mad, and Howard's apologetic. He feels bad that he's humiliated her and embarrassed her she says like is there any other time you could have told me this which definitely made me think of wedding singer when adam sandler's talking to his fiance after she leaves the wedding and he's like if you didn't want to marry me you could have brought that to my attention yesterday exactly
1: it's- same reference i was thinking yeah
0: it's, it's like the same exact thing
1: I love Joan Cusack's uh, freak out here. She she does this so well, and she's screaming at him. And just at the end of the uh, scene, uh, she goes, "Fuck you, Barbara Streisand, and fuck you, Howard," and then she punches him in the face.
0: Right, right. And the movie does spend a little bit of time with her and her character, and like how she feels and how she's. Reacting to it. Uh, she goes to a bar and meets Tom Selleck's character, and then she kind of comes on to him. It was supposed to be my wedding night. I want to have sex. Do you want to have sex with me? And he's like, Oh, I would, but I'm gay. And she's like, Is everyone gay? And I like the fact that they spend some time with this character.
1: I really do like the fact that she's just not a random character that's just there for Howard's dilemma. And then once he he says he's gay and he runs off, we throw her away as a character. They spend time giving her closure. She's crying to Peter and she's saying, He ruined my life. I can't believe he did that to me. And Peter's response was, no he saved your life and it's kind of true because there are definitely people that get married to people that are not straight because they are either in denial or they don't know themselves that that's possible they just never explored it but The fact that Peter said, look, marrying a gay man would not have been a good life for you, especially since she's obviously a a woman who wanted very much to have sex. So that would not have been fun for her.
0: Right. Howard did the right thing by telling her before they got married. Ideally, he would have told her, not seconds before they were supposed to get married. In front of all their friends. Exactly, exactly. He could have handled it better for sure, but still better that he told her before they went through with the wedding. Definitely. But when Emily leaves the bar, she runs into Cameron. And Cameron, Matt Dillon's character who outed Howard in the beginning of the movie, he has come back to his hometown because he's decided he needs to set things right and... Right away, the two of them start flirting, Emily and Cameron, and the next day is the graduation, and Howard has been fired, and he's not going to go to graduation, but his dad kind of talks him into it and says, you know, these kids depend on you, they look up to you, you should be there, so he does ultimately decide to go, and They present the Teacher of the Year award, and I thought that it was going to be that Howard gets it anyway, but no, they just give it to like some other random teacher.
1: Well, not a random teacher. They gave it to him because Howard was disqualified, and it was obvious Howard was going to win Teacher of the Year.
0: Right, but then while this other teacher is trying to give his acceptance speech for his prestigious Teacher of the Year award, Cameron walks into the auditorium and He's a major Hollywood celebrity and the whole town is going crazy and they want to hear what he has to say. And basically he's like, this is bullshit. You fired this guy because he's gay. And the principal is like, well, well, you know, the community wouldn't stand for it. And then the one boy in Howard's class that like seemed like he wasn't jumping on the homophobia bandwagon earlier when all of his classmates were, he stands up and says, Mr. Brackett was my teacher, he inspired me, he helped get me into college, and I'm gay too. And I thought, okay, wow, that's a really like powerful moment and I kind of suspected that maybe this kid was gay and that was gonna happen, that Howard's coming out would give him courage to come out. But then they do like a a thing where everyone else stands up and says, I'm gay too. Well, that's of course, I am Spartacus from from Spartacus. Yes, of course. And I just wasn't expecting the scene to go in that direction.
1: I wasn't expecting it either. And then uh, Cameron Drake, uh, he goes on stage and gives Howard his Oscar. Did you notice they were playing Academy Awards music in the background? I didn't, know. It, 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 was, it was quite funny there. And yeah, the whole
0: auditorium is cheering, and it looks like he's going to get to keep his job. Maybe. They don't specifically say that. But yeah, like the whole town is like, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. And then the movie ends with a wedding scene because Howard's mom, the Debbie Reynolds character, she really needed a wedding. Howard has a brother, but... I guess he didn't get married or he got married a long time ago. They don't really say. But there's a wedding at the end of the movie and it's Howard's parents. They're renewing their vows. So she gets her wedding and then we see the reception and we see that Emily and Cameron are together. Howard maybe is with the Tom Selleck character. Like, I don't know why this reporter would still be in Indiana all this time later if he wasn't dating Howard. We don't see them, like, holding hands or kissing or anything. So it's not explicitly clear, but I think it's implied.
1: I don't know. I think they could just be friends. They, they could be. It's, it's really non-implied, and I think that's a very strong part of this movie because this is where it ends. It's a romantic comedy. It doesn't have to end in the main character finding love. Yeah, either they're a couple or they're friends. Then he's in town for the parents' uh, wedding renewal. And then you go, like, hey, come into town. It'll be fun. But that's the end of the film. And what do you think, Al? Uh, This is the 25th anniversary of this film this year. Does it stand the test of time, as is the name of our podcast? Indeed.
0: Well, I think that there is some really relevant stuff in here. Like I said earlier with the Don't Say Gay laws, the fact that this character is a teacher really does make it more relevant today. Watching it in 2022— when I'm hearing all about this law in Florida and like, there's a lot of homophobia still around. I wish I could sit here and say, well, homophobia existed in 1997, but it went away in 2003. So this movie doesn't stand the test of time. Unfortunately, that's not true. And I do think that there is more acceptance even in small towns in Indiana. I don't know, I live in my liberal bubble in New York. I could be wrong. I think that it would be not the scandal to find out that the teacher was gay. I think the problem with this movie is that they do rely on a lot of gay stereotypes. And yeah, there are gay men who love Barbara Streisand and are very well dressed and they care about Shakespeare and maybe they move their hands in a certain way when they talk, but there's also lots of gay men who don't do that and Dress like slobs and don't give a shit about Barbara Streisand. Did you watch that show, Happy Endings? No, I didn't. It was a sitcom a a few years ago. It ran for two seasons. It was kind of dismissed as a friend's knockoff. It was much, much better than any random friend's knockoff. But one of the characters was this guy who was a slob. He always wore terrible clothes. He never washed his hair. He loved drinking beer and watching football. And he was gay. And it was kind of like, yeah, see, not all gay men on TV have to be this kind of gay man. And it is a little bit of a shame that they lean so heavily into the stereotypes. I think the bigger problem with this movie is the huge, huge unanswered question. I mentioned it before. How does Howard not know that he's gay? How has this never occurred to him? Is it that he always kind of secretly knew, but he repressed it because of some reason? Okay, we could explore that in this movie. How did Cameron Drake, a student that he taught for one year, how does he know that this guy is gay? What was it that he saw that Howard didn't see? Oh, it's never addressed. They could have done some more with that story. And it still would have been a comedy. They could have still made it a very funny movie with adding a little bit of that weight to it. So I think that's a missed opportunity. However, I am going to say that the movie does stand the test of time because it does show you that, yeah, gay people are everywhere. They may notice it later. Everyone is deserving of love and acceptance. And that's really what this movie is about. And I think its message is very strong. It has some very, very funny parts in it. I enjoyed watching it, and I'm going to say that even though it does have its flaws, it does stand the test of time. What do you think, James?
1: This film, I think, was really, really important in 1997. Mm -hmm. I think this is actually a very good film for people that are probably completely homophobic and think that every gay person is... Remember that character Hollywood and Mannequin, Mm -hmm. like, and and there are definitely people that think that that's what Grant Village and San Francisco are, and they think it's just one big, you know, gay pride parade all the time. That's how everyone acts all the time in the office too, and this is the kind of film that it's it's good for someone to show. Like he is kind of an everyman. It relies a lot on gay stereotypes. You're right. You really nailed it. I think if we did this film for the 20th anniversary, instead of the 25th anniversary, there's a guy named Ron DeSantis who, Boo. who basically made this film stand up today. I think he saved this film in, oh, in that God. way. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that I was kind of eye-rolling a little bit and going, they're not going to fire the guy. And then I came to the same realization as you, like— It really, really is not just legal, but I think you could even, like, sue them personally for saying these things to your kid. And I think the ending really does save it, because the I Am Spartacus moment really does fit here, because... Everyone is basically like, if you can be fired for being gay, we're all gay. So fire all of us. And that's exactly what happens in Spartacus because they're like, Spartacus, uh, stand up or we'll kill everyone. And then he decides, all right, I'm going to stand up. I am Spartacus. But then everyone's like, no, I am Spartacus. You have to kill me too. I am Spartacus. And everyone stands up because, you know, it's one of these, you can't kill us all, even though I think the Romans maybe did kill them all. But but in this case, they were not going to fire
0: everyone in the Indiana town. I get what you're saying. I thought the ending scene did kind of fall flat a little bit because the idea of like everyone saying that they're gay kind of in a way negates Howard's coming out because he has come out as gay and that's a big deal in this town. Let him be Himself, Let him be an individual. And then also while everyone else is standing up and declaring, I'm gay, I'm gay. Howard's just kind of sitting on the stage, like doing nothing, saying nothing. I thought it was a little bit less impactful than that moment could have been.
1: Oh, I agree with you there. But it's interesting your take on it. I think it's obvious to everyone that Howard is gay. And it was obvious to me that that student is gay. But uh, everyone else's uh, coming out kind of masks his coming out. So I don't think it lessens Howard's coming out. But if that boy wanted to, you know, stand up and say he's gay, his coming out was diminished. Because I think everyone would later be like, oh, that was so awesome of you to start that, you know, like starting a wave at a stadium. You were the first guy to do it
0: right so then that poor kid has to come out again you're right yeah he, had, yeah, he, he right. came out to that whole town and then he has to say <laughs> it to his friends and family but i actually meant it
1: and when he does at the next party then everyone's gonna oh we're doing this again uh, i'm gay too
0: everyone we're doing the i am gay thing right like no guys seriously i also feel like that character was a missed opportunity but you go on sorry but, but
1: you know, that being said, um, you know, the fact that uh, he loves Barbara Streisand and he loves dancing to Macho Man and uh, it's not weird to like those that, you know. So it's not it's weird, but they could have done a lot worse. And I'm glad they didn't. And I was actually there were a few times I was really bordering really on the oh, no. And they didn't cross the line. I thought they were about to. So, you know, I, I think the film it's It's actually really funny. Mm -hmm. There are problems with it. When they remake this, they they have to fix certain things on there. It's an interesting film that for its time was very important. Maybe its impact is less today, but it's still a fun film to watch. So I'll say it stands up as well.
0: Yeah, I I looked it up. Will and Grace came out in 1998, which was considered like a turning point in terms of like gay representation in pop culture and this movie beat it to the punch by a year so by showing America that gay people exist and they are human beings that did help the gay community in some ways you know what someone some Hollywood executive should green light a movie that's an in and out remake in and out 2 in and out T-O-O or just a movie that's like kind of inspired by In-N-Out, set it in modern-day Florida and show what happens when a gay teacher tries to come out and the resistance that he faces, that might actually change some minds. It might. If it's a a well-done movie, it could. I mean, there would be some people who would dismiss it as, oh, liberal Hollywood telling me what to think. I'm not going to even watch that crap. But it might actually help. It could. Two in, two out. Oh, God, no, don't call it that. That sounds like a very different kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible title for the sequel. Please do not do that. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about a movie called Adam's Rib. This is a movie you picked from the 40s, right? Now, I had heard of this film, and
1: true confession, I looked at old films on HBO, and alphabetically, it was like the first film. So I was like, let's go for it. Let's watch a film from the 40s.
0: Okay, sure. I'm in. I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, as always, we want to hear from you at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We love it when you talk to us. It makes us feel special. And we will see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.